Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, my guest tonight is Daniel Horwich. Daniel has built his personal family tree and helping others do the same for more than 30 years. He has archived many goals during this time, finding documents, interviewing family members, visiting archives and cemeteries, connecting long-lost relatives, and using techniques that prove to be more or less successful. Daniel will share the resources and repositories used in the United States and the world to find his American family, giving examples of what to do and what not to do to help you bust your research and achieve your goals. So let me give a warm welcome to Daniel Horowitz, to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much, Bernice. It's really a pleasure for me to be here today with you tonight. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and because I've had an opportunity to hear your fascinating story, I just want you just Tell everybody just a little bit more about yourself before we get into your genealogical research. Yes, for sure. Well, I did start this very early in my life, uh, actually when I was uh, 13, 14 years old, uh, with a school project that was kind of small but tried to get you into the family tree and tried to hear the stories of your family. And then my grandmother, from my mother's side, uh, she's a Holocaust survivor, and she always told us stories about the war and uh, about how was the life before and after and how they escaped. And, and that thing always intrigued me. And I kept researching more and more and extended the whole family to my father's side as well. Eventually, I inherited a family tree from an uncle, 
that was also tracking uh, my father's side of the family. And, you know, genealogy, is, uh, it's a buzz. Mm-hmm. Once you are bitten, that's it. You, you are into it. And you just cannot stop. You're so right. Once you're, once you're bitten, what you say, you can't get away from it, right? Why don't you tell people where you're from and where you are now, where you're living now? Well, uh, I was born in Venezuela, Caracas, Venezuela, and uh, I moved to Israel uh, in 2005. And after that, uh, you're asking me where I'm now. Well, I'm, I'm right now in Ottawa, actually, coming from California because uh, there are a couple of conferences, genealogy conferences around the world, and I'm uh, lucky enough to work for my heritage. And, and the company sent me to represent them uh, on most of the genealogy conference in the United States. Uh, when, when we met uh, last month in Washington, I was coming from one conference into the other. So that's, uh, that's my life now. I'm, I'm a world traveler. Wow, how exciting. So... So we know what motivated you to get involved in genealogical research. So tell us, where did the majority of your genealogical research take place prior to you connecting with your U.S. family? Well, you know, at the beginning, Bernice, uh, I thought that all my family was all the people with my last name that was living in Venezuela. Uh, of course, I was young and didn't know better, but as long as I research and I, and I asked the right questions, I found out that all my family is coming from what is today southern Ukraine or northern Romania. Uh, so my oh, genealogy okay. work actually concentrates in, in those places in Europe, in Romania and, and Ukraine. Okay. You know, those are both places that I've worked in, Romania and the Ukraine. So very interesting. Yeah, they are very interested, although, unfortunately, the records parts are a little bit difficult, uh, both to uh, find and also to understand afterwards. Uh, But, yeah, they're they're doable and, and they're fantastic. Yes, yes. So you that's where most of your people were from, um, the Ukraine and also from Romania. And so when, at what point, did you start connecting with family members from the U.S.? Well, that was about uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, during my research, and just because I posted my family tree uh, almost in every place that I could, and I always uh, I'm participating in different forums and, and different uh, chats, uh, suddenly one day I received an email from what it seems to be a family member in the United States. And, and out up to then... I never knew that we had family over there. Of course, some of my uh, most 
like the most uh, recent ancestors that I knew and, and I uh, also interviewed, they went to the United States, like, but in the late 19, uh, uh, 1990 and the 2000s, but, but not far, uh, far back on my genealogy. And this guy was claiming that uh, he was a family member and he uh, compared names with my tree and he was uh, very sure that we were related. So I did a little bit of research on my family tree. I found some of the names that he was mentioning over there, but I wasn't sure. So, you know, I thank him. I, I wrote a nice letter and I said, listen, uh, I'm sorry, but I see some uh, relation between what you are asking and my information, but I still don't think that your people is the same as my people. And I'm talking now about uh, the branch of my family, which probably is less known for the audience, because although my last name is Horowitz, I also have a singer uh, branch in my family. And this guy was telling me that the singers and the sappingers were related and, and we were family. So it didn't pass more than two or three days when this guy received my email and immediately he sent me a naturalization, a petition for naturalization in the United States. And we're talking about the year 1920. And this was really my first encounter with the United States genealogy research and this uh, petition of naturalization, which of course I had, I had no idea what it was and, and what it was for and, and who filled it up. But right over there, I could see all the names with all the dates and all the places, not only for the person that arrived, uh, which I had no idea about him, but also the family members that were left back in Europe uh, with their kids, with their birth uh, uh, dates and places and everything. And because this petition of naturalization had to be filled after five years when the person arrived to the country, uh, I had over there the place where he and people and addresses of him in the United States because, of course, after five years being in the country, he already had a life. And this really opened not only my eyes, but a, but a huge door into the United States uh, research. And of course, I learned that this petition of naturalization had to be attached to an intention of naturalization as well. And uh, also the paperwork for the arrival and, and this guy, once I, I saw that uh, petition and, and I saw that all the names really matched and I, and I communicated with him and I thank him, and, and this is probably a, a very good and important tip. Like when you receive something from somebody else, the first thing you need to do is to thank him. And, and I think that my email was, was so happy and, and so profuse on the thank he immediately bombarded me with all the records for this family of uh, manifests and passengers lists and, and uh, affidavits and, and 
the declaration of intention, the actual naturalization, all this information that suddenly was in my lab, and, and I had to start learning how you do genealogy in the U.S. Well, I can imagine how that felt. I mean, first of all, he was so excited that you were responsive to him. But then to bombard you with all of this information, it wasn't just like starting from kindergarten. You had to get on a really quick learning curve just to understand what he was sending you. Yeah, and and thank God I think it was really fast for me once you have a, like the path of the person once he goes a, a, or he arrives into the United States. A, they needed a, a declaration of intent uh, with a court, which is a court record, and, and that has to be immediately filled after a, they arrive. And then, as I said, they need to wait five years for the petition of, of the citizenship, and they required witnesses, which most of the cases they were uh, other family members that were already in the country. Most of them, uh, in my case, for example, they were working together. So you have addresses and you have businesses. And then you have the certificate of naturalization, uh, which since 2006 until today, almost every uh, immigrant needs to fill in. And that was actually what led me to uh, a very good place, and, and this is probably my second uh, encounter with uh, U.S. records. And because all my family were immigrants, uh, I went straight to the uh, Ellis Island website, and they have a very nice database over there. I start typing the names of, uh, of my family members, and immediately I could see, uh, even with pictures, uh, the uh, ships, where they came from, and the dates, and the passengers list. And on the passengers list, also very important, I had to read and I learned to read all the names in the ship. Because sometimes you're looking for a particular uh, relative, but then when you read the whole manifest, you start seeing that they have the same uh, friends, and they kept the same friends that came with them on the, on the ship, or other family members came together. Uh, very also interesting information, you start seeing uh, young people, like very young people, not even in their, in their 20s, traveling alone across the ocean. Uh, I think that, that must be very, very uh, scared to do that at that age, not certain what was going to be in the other side of the world. Yeah, I can imagine how that felt, and certainly you were seeing it right there on the list and seeing the ages of the people. But then weren't they connecting with family members once they got here? Yeah, they all had an address, and and again, I saw in, in my family, and I'm sure uh, I'm, I'm not uh, strange to other cases, but I saw... Uh, brothers and sisters, very young, coming all together, coming to the uh, address or, of their uncle or, or their aunt or somebody else in the family. And, and for sure, I found them already there in all my, uh, my 
ancestors and, and my cousins uh, right there. And that is what gave me the, the code in order to go into the next records in the United States, which are the censuses. And as I said, my family came in the late 20s, uh, so I didn't find them in the 1920 census, although, and this is, again, another important tip, although I knew they were not being uh, in that census, I'd still try to search for them, and more for them for the family members that they mentioned on the records, because if they were already there in the, here in the United States, it, maybe they were in the 1920 census, but for me, most of my family were in the 1930th census. Now, again, people came a couple of times, and they need to be registered every time they arrive. And I have found a couple that came back and forth, back and forth, so they uh, do appear in different censuses, although the naturalization records put them on ships into the United States in a later date. Uh, so by looking into the censuses, I found complete families uh, with only one name of one person that will lead me uh, to a household and that will living in the, under the same roof. And again, you see uh, the, same, the same path, people, families getting together, uh, two brothers maybe putting the older family onto the same uh, roof, and then you have five or six family members uh, or two families uh, grouped in one house, and the census will tell you the ages, the census will tell you the address, the who knew how to write, how to read, what the nationality was, and what, if they were working or not. So censuses definitely uh, are a very good source of information. And then you kept going every 10 years to the 1940 census uh, in my case, and guess what? No records. And for most of people, you know, when you don't find records, that is frustrating. But for me, it's actually encouraging because that gives me a hint that if they were in the 1930 census but not in the 1940s, you know what happened? They died. And if uh -huh. they died, I already knew that, there is a death record and there is a grave. So there is more places to research and to find information. And a couple of websites that I love to use uh, to find all those burials, the first one is find a grave, although I have a little bit of concern or, or disappointing with find a grave because they may have the name of the cemetery and they have information about the person, but not always you get the actual picture of the tombstone. So uh, the second source that I always use when deaf people uh, are need to investigate is billion graves because billion graves starts with the picture of the tombstone. So I'm a genealogist and I love to see the actual information. I'd like to see the records. I like to see the tombstones. So that is uh, the other website that I do. And once you know the cemetery, well, you should try to get the website of the cemetery, not only again for that person that you are looking for, 
but also for other family members that may be buried over there. You know, people in life and in death, we all want to get together. We don't want to be alone. So people are asking and are requesting to get buried all together. So it, this is like a chain. It's a, it's a snowball down the hill. Once you have a little bit of a, of a tip of, of, a, of a name or a place, you start digging and more and more family members are, are coming up. And that's how I found a lot of my, my relatives buried on the same cemetery. Okay, so let me just ask you a question, because you're finding your relatives, but is there a specific place in America that you're finding a concentration of your relatives? Yes. Uh, all, all my family concentrated in New York, and uh, I, I don't think that it's a coincidence. Most of the people came through New York with through Ellis Island, although I have learned as well that New York was not the only port of immigration. A, a lot of people came through Philadelphia. A lot of other people came to Boston. So I was lucky enough to find my family just coming through New York and staying in New York. A lot of people also migrated to other places. A, but I guess that a lot of, uh, of immigrants, were were located in in New York, and that is for certain another piece of information. When I started to find and and to search for my relative, I had to put a little bit of a location filter. So uh, every time I run a search in any search engine in any database, I put the word New York, and that chopped a lot of same last name relatives which were not necessarily related to me. And, and for sure, in the uh, New York uh, Death Index, uh, I found this uh, uh, in, in Micah's Bertha Sattinger, which is the, the lady that leads all this family into, uh, into the United States. Uh, I found her uh, died in 1935, so that will perfectly explain why she was not there to, a, to, to be at the 1940 census. And once I managed to uh, find out her uh, birth date, I had to go to family search and to the uh, family history library and to get the microfilm, those uh, death records, uh, the New York death index records, and actually find the records itself. Again, I love to see the uh, paperwork, the records, the handwriting and the signatures of my relatives. And for sure, in the death certificate of, of Bertha Sattinger, I found a lot of information about her husband and about her doctor and what was the cause of death. And, and you learn a lot about your family members through genealogy and through this uh, paperwork. So now... You're at. You've gone to family searching. You've found additional information. So, are are you still just trying to gather information, or are you now making the physical connection with your relatives? Well, by now, quite a nice family tree put 
together and I receive some information about family members and this is very funny, you know, because you talk with them every time and they will not mention anything. They just will tell you what you ask for. And it was not until I asked, well, but do we have a living relative in the United States when, oh, yes, we have this guy who lives in New York. He must be 65 years old. And, uh, and yes, here is the name, Salo Sattinger. And uh, for sure, as, uh, as the first time that I hear his name, I know that he's a living relative. I went into Google and just typed in his first and last name, New York. I put even his age, I remember, about 70 years old. And you will not believe how many websites will have listings of addresses and phone numbers uh, from people in the United States. Uh, I use white pages, for example, and uh, there is a Spokio, and there is a citydata.com, locatefamily.com, reverse names. Also, once you have one, la one uh, phone number, you can use reverse search on, uh, on that phone number and uh, get more information uh, about the person. And even websites like Checkmate, which are actually more built you know, to dig into the uh, past of a uh, criminal past uh, and and other type of information about about a person, I I managed to find find him over there with some possible relatives, which were actually the last the people that I was looking for and the the people that actually I found before into the uh, burials into the cemeteries. So finally, I had uh, a cousin, a living cousin, that uh, could lead me to more information. And guess what? I pick up the phone, and I dial the number, and I check my addresses, and I found him, and for sure I was not going to have this opportunity passed. I spoke speak with him. I managed to make an appointment and I ran into his door, and we had a wonderful family reunion. I met a cousin, uh, which, of course, he was very happy to, to meet me, which is not always the case, I have to admit, but in this case, I was uh, lucky enough. And, uh, of course, by now I know how to ask and what questions to ask, so I also asked him uh, if he knew other people uh, related to the family leaving, and, and uh, yes, indeed, he pointed me out to another relative, uh, which in this case he was living in California. And not only he pointed me to this cousin, but her mother, uh, which just turned 104 very recently. It was very well alive, of course, or on, uh, unfortunately suffering dementia, so not a lot of information could be extracted from her. Okay, so we're going to stop here at right where you are, take a quick break, and come right back because I want to hear the rest of this story. Okay, quick break. I have more for you. 
Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Now, you have been listening to a fascinating genealogical journey being shared by Daniel Horwich. Daniel is now telling us what happened with his connection in California. Okay, Daniel, keep telling us this story. <laughs> well, Bernice, before I jumped to California, I was already in New okay. York. And as you asked before, yes, most of my family were leaving in New York after they arrived there from Europe, and they die in New York. So, you know, I'm a genealogist, I have a car, I cannot pass this opportunity to go into the cemetery and do a little bit of research over there. Yes, I had the information already from the website, but again, I like primary sources. I want to see the stones. And the stones may not have actual real information, because, you know, the stones are written by the people that survived, and the people that survived not always knows exactly the real information. They know what they heard from this person. But for sure, indeed, I went into this uh, cemetery in New York, and I start taking pictures. Uh, I use uh, the Billion Graves app, again, to try to get as many uh, tombstones that I, as I can. And for sure, I got most of my family members right away. I found this uh, tombstone of Bertha Sattinger Singer, which is, again, the lady that is leading all this with all the the, the kids and and the marriages and everything right there, besides actually one person. But that I'm going to leave for later. So I go okay. to California now, at least on my research, and I, of course, uh, first always you try the phone. I speak with, with Carl Wolf, which is my, my cousin in California, and he tells me about the family escaping the Holocaust, which, of course, I was already uh, very familiar with that uh, type of research, but I was in Washington. So I had to go to the uh, United States Holocaust Museum and Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. The good thing is that they have over there a very nice database of people that perished or actually survived also the Holocaust. And I managed to find the cards where they were sent from Europe into the United States and those cards reflected all the names and all the dates in a family group which corroborated these stories that I have received. And uh, I found over there uh, a person which matched all the information, and for sure by the age he had to be dead already, 
But guess what? He was not buried with all this family into uh, in this cemetery. So this is still a brick wall and uh, an enigma on my family research. And this is why I love so much genealogy because it's something that always leads to another thing and it's a never-ending mystery story. So by yes, now, it is. I, I, have, I have a very nice family tree. Uh, I use my heritage in order to put all my names and my pictures. My heritage does a very nice uh, thing. He researches for me and leads me to the databases, and again, the 1930 census, the 1940 census, New York marriages, and all kinds of birth, marriage, death, newspapers, information. I find a ton of information, and even more information about family I was not aware, because again, one thing leads to the other, and one of the people from this family married another person, so with this a marriage record, I managed to trace another family member who was here since 1920s as well. And you know what I thought immediately? If the person is here by the 1920s and 1930s, of course, again, naturalization and, and records, immigration records, that uh, goes without saying. But then I remember uh, the National Archives. And I remember the National Archives because I heard and know that they have a wonderful collection of military service. So I went online into the Veterans Service Records in the National Archives and I typed a couple of names. And in this case, I'm looking for uh, the branch of the Menchels that married my family. And for sure, I found them all in black and white, all in their uh, enlisted uh, U.S. Marine Corps. Everybody served for the country. Everybody paid their time and was very, very happy to see all the military career that all the people had. Uh, now, I remember that I found a lot of information online, but I also found more information in one of my trips, in my case, to Washington. I went straight to the source in Washington, and I could see the microfilms that were not still digitized. And because I am concentrating on the New York area, I managed to learn about the New York Marriage Index. And this is an initiative of a very good friend of mine, I have to admit, uh, Brooke Gans. She managed an uh, organization called Reclaim the Records, and she managed to have the New York marriage indexes uh, online. Search over there for the groom and the bride, and I knew their names, and I found that they were married in 1957, and it's a public domain because it's uh, more than 50 years old, so I could go into the, uh, the office and request a copy of that marriage record. And just like that, I managed to find more and more people from the United States. Right now, I think I have 
family members in events uh, on my family probably in about 20 to 30 states uh, in the United States, and they're all all over. They just keep moving uh, all over the, the states. So you never know where and when they are going to pop up. So how long did all of this take for you to just from that very first email you received to now? Well, I have I have to say and admit and I, and I hope our audience will understand this. This is not like in the movies or in the TV shows that we see uh, right now <laughs> about genealogy. <laughs> this this takes time. Like you need to go to the archive and you need to research and and again and again. And, and probably you will search five times and six times, and it's not until that one when you actually find what you're looking for. So all the, the process that I just described, it, it took me about uh, seven years. And uh, the good news is, again, uh, I, I keep visiting my, my cousins every time, and every time they know I'm coming, they are looking for photos and they are looking for more information. So this is a, a, an ongoing project that, as I said, uh, up till now, it was seven years, but I, I was recently in California and, and I met with, uh, with Carl and, and his family. And then I got another clue and another piece of the puzzle. And uh, now I'm uh, hoping to go back to New York and do a little bit of more of uh, research over there and try to follow that lead. Wow. As you said, it's a, it's a never-ending story. Uh, we have a, a comment coming out of the chat room. This individual is saying, this is Family Tree Girl. She says she's struggling with finding a death record for her three-times-grandmother, Abigail Worden. She died around 1800 in, in New York. And, you know, because you have been so successful with some of your research, what could you advise her? Well, definitely, uh, again, the New York uh, Death Index, uh, although I don't remember if it goes back that, uh, that far in time. Uh, but what I would do is I would try to search which cemeteries were active at that time. And I will go straight to the cemetery to look for the tombstone and, and the burial. Once you can pinpoint her, uh, her burial place, normally what I have learned also uh, with all this research in the United States is that cemeteries will tell you the funeral home that took care of the burial, and, and I'm pretty sure that even if it's in the 1800s, somebody had to take care of the burial. And most of the cases, these organizations took also care of all the paperwork and the death certificate and, and all what the government required in order to process the burial. So again, it's the stone or the burial place, the cemetery, the funeral home, and, and you will be a better lead to the record itself. The other thing, and do not discard other places, the, uh, and I, I don't know the whole story, but just because somebody lived all his life in New York, it doesn't mean 
that he was buried in New York. And I can tell you, I found people buried uh, after many, many years of living in a place in a totally different place for various reasons. That's right. Now, you have another question coming out, and it's, it's have you done DNA testing uh, to uh, continue to connect or to verify your paperwork, your paper well, trail? Well, I have, yes, I, I have to make you a confession, Bernice. Yes, I did DNA tests. I actually did DNA tests back in 2008, and uh, my DNA test was a Y chromosome DNA with my own DNA and by the time uh, the most advanced option was 36 markers but uh, that was very expensive so I did only the 12 markers which cost me about a hundred dollars in that time and I have to tell you that I'm very happy because I received a very nice certificate and I was confirmed a human being but besides that, <laughs> nothing more. So for a couple of years, a good couple of years, I really didn't pay attention to DNA until very recently when my heritage also went into this pool of DNA. So I retook a test. In this case, it's an autosomal test. And uh, the prices are, are way uh, cheaper that back in 2008, and I encourage my family members to take DNA tests as well. So right now I have about 10 to 15 DNA kits uh, on the uh, process of testing, but I have another five and from actually members of this family. And, and the good news is that, yes, the DNA actually proved that my paper trail and my family tree actually worked. So definitely, yes, if you have a, a DNA test, uh, you should first of all upload it to all the places that you can. Uh, right now there is an, a society or organization called JetMatch, and they allow you to upload your DNA. Uh, my Heritage also allows you to upload your DNA if you tested with Ancestry, 23andMe, or Family Tree DNA. Uh, or if, if you want to test yourself on a, or another relative, you should definitely give it a try. And, and I have been uh, converted <laughs> recently. I'm a believer recently that uh, the DNA could uh, open doors and could verify that uh, those relationships really exist. Now, uh, I need to wait for more tests to be taken in order to get more matches, and, and this is practically like everything in life, the more the better. So the more DNA tests that you do to your relative, the more good matches you are going to get, and hopefully I will get leads uh, to new family members. That's right. Well, now you have mentioned within the last 40 minutes several resources that you've used. Have you exhausted all of the resources, or have you told us about all the resources, or are there more that we haven't heard about yet? Well, there are always more. 
uh, of course, as a genealogist, I have to use uh, ancestry. I have to use find my past. Uh, I use my heritage. I, I try to find and use records in every place that I can. And I would not be a genealogist if I would say I have exhausted all the uh, options and all the sources out there. Uh, I for sure can mention it. Like Google, Google is a great resource. Facebook, I have found also families in Facebook. Not the old guys as I call them, uh, although they are also in Facebook, but they are only friends of their grandkids and their kids, and that's how families are connecting now. But I have found the kids and the grandkids in Facebook posting about a lot of family members, and, and that's a, a great work, a great way to, to connect with other people. Uh, I also had to use the uh, New York City Department of Records website in order to ask for all those uh, death certificate and marriage certificate. And, and there's a, a huge amount of resources. So please don't tell me uh, that you have exhausted all your, uh, your resources. And even if you think that, like, try again. MyHeritage has just released uh, a few collections from the Netherlands, a few newspapers from the United States, some censuses from Canada, and all the uh, websites are constantly updating and digitizing information. So if you haven't found anything yet in there, uh, keep a log, and that is very important because otherwise you're going to search in the same search engine for the same source again and again. You should keep a log of your research and annotate all the places where you have found or not the information you are looking for, so you can go back every six months, every year, and research in those uh, databases again. Right. And you know what? You have somebody who's kind of ditto in what you said about Google and Facebook. This is Susan, and she's saying, I use Facebook and Google a lot. And so that's one person of many that have definitely used those two uh, tools to help them. Uh, also, you have a comment here saying, good idea, logging. You know, those research <laughs> logs never get old. <laughs> yes. Now, you know, Bernice, another, another idea, especially with social media, and, and you and I know this very well, like there are people out there that have the answers. And sometimes they can be grouped in uh, Facebook groups, in genealogy societies, in conferences. We need to shout to all the winds that uh, the names and the places and, and our brick walls and try to comment and, and make everybody aware of what we are. You never know when and how you are going to find the answer and who you're going to find the person that actually has the answer or just an idea for that brick wall that you are trying to hit. That is so true. And, you know, just like you said, Facebook is a good place, but you have all of these different 
uh, DNA sites on Facebook where people are communicating with each other. They're joining because they may share the same name, surname or they may be in the same location, and they're talking to each other and they're asking questions. And so, as you said, people out there have the answers. Mm. And so we have to reach out to those people to get the answers. Well, do you have any other information to share with us before we close out tonight? Well, uh, right now I really don't think. <laughs> I, I keep researching, <laughs> as I said, and and I'm, I'm very happy with this. Uh, I will encourage everybody uh, to build a family tree. This is a wonderful experience, and, of course, not alone. Uh, call your family, gather with, the, with your ancestors. They know the information. Grab your descendants. Grab those little kids that are eager to hear all those stories. And, and believe me, not, not because they are connected to the phones and to the computers. They, they are not aware of this uh, fabulous world of stories that we can tell them about our ancestors and how they uh, migrate and show them the pictures and, and the boats and the houses and, and all the information. So uh, this was huge for me to start, to build a family tree, to be able to share with family members today. Again, uh, there are many websites out there to build a family tree and to share with other people. I think that is the key to do this because actually you also need to think about something. Uh, what will happen tomorrow when we are not around? Who is going to take care of this family history with all that all the information that we so hard gathered all uh, across the world and across all this uh, time? We want to somebody to safe keep all these memories, and are those kids are the ones who are going to inherit it, our, uh, our family history. So definitely use the tools and use the people that you have out there in order to gather the information and to preserve for future generations. You are so bright and wonderful advice because we do. We need to think about what's going to happen tomorrow. And if we don't share that information, is it going to die with us? Of course it will. So we must gather the information, share the information, and tell the stories and keep those stories going. Well, Daniel, I want to just thank you so much for joining us tonight and to share with everyone, your journey to connect with your U.S. relatives. And everybody else, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, even an email, something that Daniel received, plus Research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black 
ProGen Live with host Nika Sewell Smith. Also, check out my services at BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.genieberoots.com. I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Daniel. Good night, Bernice. Thank you very much. Okay.